0: A beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's good to hear the Word of God, and it's good to hear preached and heralded that we can feed upon Christ together and grow in Him. A song came to mind this week. It's been running through my head all week. It does that. Songs will wake me up at night. and If they're good songs, I don't mind. Uh, if they're irritating songs, I do mind. This one's alright, although I already know the chorus. It's by a guy named Ricky Nelson. Maybe some of you know him. And the is called Garden Party, the only song I know from this guy at all, I think. But it goes... You all know the tune. It's all right now. I've learned my lesson well. What's the lesson? Uh, here it is. You can please everyone, so you got to please yourself. Right, that's the tune. We all know that part of it. No one knows the rest of the song, I don't think. But we all know that tune. And great great for Ricky, Ricky Nelson for getting that into our heads. What's the point of that? That lovely little song that we all like to sing along with. It's like, look out for yourself. Please yourself. Look out for numero uno. Take care of number one. Or, it said, you can't really take care of anybody, right? Did you hear that? you got to take care of yourself, or you can't take care of anybody else. It's a little bit like saying you have to have your house in perfect order before you can help help someone else get theirs in perfect order, which of course is false. We want to have our house in good order. We want to make sure before God that we are taking care of ourselves faithfully, not selfishly, but faithfully, so that of course we can share the wealth. We can help others. We can spend time loving them and serving them. If we come to one thing from the scriptures, it's very clear to us, is that fallen humans tend to do just what Ricky Nelson tells them to do. Take care of themselves. Now we're twisted and we're sinners, so we oftentimes don't even know how taking care of ourselves works. In other words, people try to take care of themselves and destroy themselves doing it because they're sinners. But God calls us not to care for ourselves, although we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this love is supposed to go around. But really, our focus as Christians, and listen to this, is not upon taking care of ourselves, but upon loving others. That is the whole point of this passage. In fact, from chapter 14 all the way, you know, these these, these long sections we're going through are, are teaching us the same thing over and over again: love one another, serve one another, not yourself. Not myself, but others. Love others and give to them, particularly in the body of Christ. God calls us, in Christ Jesus, to much greater reality of life than just taking care of ourselves. But to love God and love the people around him, particularly his people, but whoever God puts around you, Our neighbors. So a first thing to consider is whom to please. Whom to please. And secondly, written for us, the scripture, and finally granted by whom. So quickly here, if we can move along. Whom to please. Christian, every day we face this very question. How are we going to conduct ourselves? What decisions are we going to make to please ourselves? To please other people? And in the final analysis, to please God. We certainly have responsibilities before God to ourselves. If we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're not to hate our neighbor as ourselves. Right? We're not to loathe ourselves so that we can love everybody else. Granted, we loathe our own flesh and our sin. But that's something that God is purging away in Christ. Of course we're supposed to hate the flesh. But we're not supposed to hate ourselves. In fact, God puts eternal life in front of us that we should want it. We should want the blessings of God for ourselves. But not in a selfish way. And in fact, those blessings God gives us, we just turn around and often give away to other people anyway. That's how God's organized spiritual gifts to work. But Paul says here that the strong, there in verse 1, you can see a verse of chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now note that Paul lumps himself in with the strong. We who are strong. Right? Not, not y'all over there who are the strong ones, and he's, he's one of these guys that knows that God's made this world, the things in it are good, that, that it's lawful to use these things in the world, but not in such a way as making brothers stumble. Right? And the key issue here is food, which doesn't seem ever like an issue to us very much. We don't see food and drink, although alcohol sometimes maybe is causing people to stumble, but we don't, the food thing doesn't connect with our minds as readily as maybe other things might, the way we could cause each other to stumble. But that was definitely the issue in Paul's day. And the strong said we can eat whatever we want. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But he said that's great, but you need to do so in such a way as to deal with the weaknesses and the failings of the weaker brother. Now, does that mean we just bypass sin? And a weaker brother or any brother in Christ, if they're sinning, we'd have nothing to say because we're supposed to bear with the failings. Again, the admonitions here in this text that we're dealing with in Romans aren't about general sin and righteousness. They're about fellowship within the body of Christ and the consciences of the, of the Christians in that body of Christ and how we deal with each other. Right? And there are failings, there are weaknesses. Do you recognize that? You probably recognize it in some other folks you probably look around even in our little congregation you can use nice soft views, and say yeah, I recognize some failings over there and over here and yeah I know that one. Okay, but how about your own? That other people have to bear with. Right? As we love one another, we find ourselves in the strong spot of bearing with and that's, that's what the word is, is. taking up on your shoulders and bearing the weight of the failings and the, and the weaknesses of the weaker brother. Now, I think the world, along with that wonderful song that hopefully be ringing through your head from Ricky Nelson also, uh, that we take care of ourselves. We use our power with the strength that we have, being the strong ones, to look after ourselves and our people, right, and so on. And that's, that's God's given us that, to take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves, to protect our loved ones. But when Jesus Christ came, he not only showed us how to use power, he's the strong one. Right, Remember when Peter goes after the ear of the servant uh, and, and Jesus says what to him? Put away your sword, Peter. Don't you know I can call legions of angels? Okay? There's no lack of power in Jesus Christ. But in meekness, he gave himself up for the weak. The strong gave himself up for the weak to redeem the weak, the lost. You see, that's how that's how Jesus uses his strength. He pours himself out for others. And that's exactly what we see here in this text. We saw it in Psalm uh, the 69th Psalm that we read as well. There's all kinds of struggles. There's all kinds of problems for the psalmist. But his mind is on the service to God. Dealing with suffering the insults to God. And looking for God's salvation to come. Trusting God to deal with not only the wicked, but even himself. And so we see that with Jesus. We read in 1 Peter chapter 3 this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 as well, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. So the rich and poor aspect of that is virtually the same as the strong and weak. That the riches of Christ are His physical or His spiritual strength to give us. And he who is strong ministered to the weak. He who is rich became poor to minister to the poor. You, to whom God has given many gifts, He is giving you us gifts clearly to serve Him, but to serve others as well. Even people that are kind of hard to deal with. Right, so it's easy to serve people that you, know, that you love and that they're, they're full of appreciation back for the service. And that works out just fine, right? Excellent. that's how it should go. But oftentimes, Christian, your service to people is not even recognized. In fact, sometimes it kind of gets thrown back in your face. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Maybe you're trying to serve and give and it just comes right back in your teeth. So be it. God's called us to serve and to give, to pour ourselves out, even as Christ Jesus himself poured out his lifeblood for us, the weak and the poor. So as we look at Christ then, one commentator gives us this simple application of this text in our lives. He says this, If Christ, the Holy One, was willing to take upon himself so much suffering in the form of insults hurled at him by his enemies, and that's where the commentator stops, so we can make a list of other things that go on along, all the way up to and including being nailed to the tree, okay, so he suffers all of this for us, then should we not be willing to sacrifice just a little eating and drinking pleasure for the sake of our fellow believers? If Christ has given himself all the way to the cursed death of the cross for us, can we not restrain some of our desire for pleasure, whether eating or drinking, or other things that might cause stumbling, particularly in the, in the, in the context of other people we might have, it might cause an issue, In the privacy of your own before God, because Paul says, serve the Lord. But in in the presence of others, be careful. Be conscientious. Be considerate of the other Christians around you, not making them to stumble. So whom to please? Well, clearly God, but we're called to please one another. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, but each of us to please his neighbor for his good, To build him up. So, Christian, in your target, the thing you're aiming at, the thing you're you're looking to, to nail is building up and loving your brothers in Christ Jesus, your brothers and sisters. That's what you're aiming at as a Christian in the church. And you're willing to give up the things that you like, you're willing to give up some pleasures so that you can maintain and build up this fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, whom do we please? First, God, and then we seek to please one another in Christ Jesus, building one another up in him. Verse 3 comes around and says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. Christ didn't come and please himself. Now, think of that. Think of your situation. Maybe if you were the eternal king of glory, the eternal son of God, and full of Exquisite, eternal, unchanging glory to come and pour yourself out as a servant, as a slave, taking the form of a man. We can think of Philippians chapter 2. Christ didn't, He could have come, of course, just to be served. But Jesus came to serve and to seek the lost. Because that's how our God is. God is the one who comes and seeks the lost. Do you know what it is to be lost? Do you know what it is not to know your way home? Well, Christian, we're all born in Adam. We're born lost. We're born not knowing our way home. And some people flounder around in that death their whole life. But by God's grace, you've heard differently. And you know differently. You know Christ is your home. And now you know you're called to serve Him and pour yourself out for those around you, particularly those in the body of Christ. And Christ is not only the example of this, he shows us how it is to be done. He is the very purchaser of salvation. He's the one through his death and resurrection that has made the salvation for us. He's purchased it. But he also, in that, shows us how to kind of to do it. Now, we, don't want to, we don't want to pit Jesus being the example on one hand, and Jesus being the actual pure procurer of salvation on the other. What he did, no one else can do. Yet, what he did, he says, follow me. Live live as one of my followers. We're not Christ, but we are Christians. We are little Christs. We are the ones in Christ, then, to be the light of the world. And the Holy Scriptures, then, teach us about this. This is where we're going. The Holy Scriptures show us Christ and give us encouragement and comfort as we go. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So the Holy Scriptures are brought in view here. That's important for us, because not only does Paul quote that psalm that we've read and say, this, this is, applies to Jesus, clearly Jesus is the centerpiece, but that Jesus, listen to this, ministers his grace to us. Jesus ministers his power to us through the Scripture. It's this very book. It is the book of God. It is the writing of God. That's what Scripture means. The writing of God. It's his writing given to the people of God, given to the church of all ages, that he should minister Christ to us, and that in Christ we should be encouraged and comforted. That's the ministry of the scriptures to us. Now, do the scriptures do this by themselves? Uh, Do the the scriptures uh, ex opere operato work, which is some theological language that goes back many centuries, but talking about the sacraments in particular, saying, well, the sacraments just kind of work. You know, you know they, just, they just work in the working. That's what ex operato means. Like, in the working, they proffer what's, what's signified there. That's not the way it goes. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the sacraments are functioning in any way at all. It's the Holy Spirit through the means of the sacraments and through the means of Scripture. Scripture of itself, this book sitting here, It's just a book sitting there. When the Holy Spirit turns it on in your heart, though, it's like no other book. It is the very Word of God. And it is encouragement. And it is comfort. Not of itself, but by the work of the Holy Spirit as as the Spirit ministers to us. uh, What I want to give you on this one is the the, the same way the the Spirit functions in the ministry of the Word. It's the same way the Spirit functions in the ministry of the visible words of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's all the Word of God. It's all God articulating and feeding us and giving us things by his Holy Spirit. Right? It's God giving these gifts, including through the scriptures. Through the scriptures, he says, we have endurance and encouragement. Those are the two words, I think, in the ESV here. For whatever was written in the former days, verse 4, was written for our instruction. Of course, what was written in the former days? The Old the Testament. Testament. Right? The Hebrew scriptures is what he's talking about. And of course... You know, Paul's penning in the New Testament and it's coming around around him, uh, coming together around him, but he's looking back to the scriptures, the inspired word of God, and so far as it had been revealed, the Old Testament, and he says, These are written so for our instruction that through encouragement sorry, through endurance endurance and through encouragement we may have hope. Endurance is the capacity to hold out under stress and difficulty. Makes sense. Endurance. To be able to endure, to kind of suffer through and suffer along under some difficulty and stress. How does the scripture minister endurance to us? What is the endurance of the scripture that Paul's talking about here? Well, it certainly could be doctrinal. In other words, if you read the scripture and understand the doctrine, say, of the providence of God, that God rules over all things and disposes of everything, all his creatures, and all their actions according to his blessed will, if you understand the scriptures teach that and you believe it, is that not an encouragement? Is that not like a, a great boon for endurance and stress in a difficult times when you know that your Heavenly Father has given you this trial? Not by accident. Not chance. Not some goofy, crazy demon that's messing with us and there's although all those, you know, the demon and everything else may imply, but it's all God's doing. If we trust what the Scriptures say about the providence of God, it gives us encouragement, and indeed it, it gives us and feeds our endurance. So doctrinally, we are fed to, unto our endurance in the Scriptures, but how about by way of example? Can you think of any believers in the Scriptures that through their endurance have encouraged you to endure as well, to shoulder up under the burdens and the difficulties of life The one that comes to mind immediately for me, in in conjunction with providence as well, is Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who goes to Egypt and gets sold down there by his brothers, and uh, finally becomes the vice regent of of all of Egypt and and saves his family, um, bringing them down to Egypt. And of course, in chapter 50, verse 20 of, of Genesis, he says to his brothers, you meant this for evil, God meant this for good. He was able to endure all of the trials that he went through, and there were many of them, because he knew God had meant whatever's going on for good, even though other people had meant it for evil. So we can, I think doctrinally, we can be encouraged, we can be uh, emboldened by the Scriptures unto endurance, but even by way of example, looking at the saints gone by that's in, in the Scriptures and being able to feed that way upon, upon the endurance offered to us in the Scriptures Well, endurance is one thing, bearing up and and, and staying through difficulties, that capacity. But what about encouragement? Maybe we can think of encouragement as the act of emboldening somebody in belief or in a course of action. Uh, Encouraging someone else and building them up or giving them comfort is another word uh, that would translate this word. Encouragement. Emboldening somebody. Have you had in your life Christian brothers and sisters that really do come to you and give you comfort and embolden you in, the, in your faith, in your walk with God? I certainly hope you do. I hope you have friends in Christ Jesus. And I hope I'm one of them, personally as the minister of the Word, to encourage you and build you up and embolden you in the faith. But also your relationships one with another in the body of Christ. We need to encourage one another. We need the comfort of saints around us and the encouragement of the Word ministered even through those Saints. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you, Christian, find comfort, encouragement, and endurance as you read the Word of God? Do the scriptures minister to you by the mercies of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, endurance and encouragement in your Christian life? I certainly hope so. They are the very food of the Christian life, the scriptures, whether ministered, in the preaching, or in the public reading, as we do on the Lord's Day, but also minister day by day, as you open the Scriptures in the privacy of your own home. Or sitting there as husband and wife, or with the family, or however it goes, in these different scenarios, to open the Scriptures and encourage one another unto endurance and unto the comfort we have in Christ Jesus and the encouragement that we have in Him. So do you find comfort, Christian, in the Word, in the Scriptures? On your own time, in private, but also in public. And if you don't, they're like, kind of a dead letter. I don't know, I read it, and it it, it does work this way sometimes. I read it, and I kind of don't get it. I read it, I'm confused, or I get a little bit, and I don't know. And it's not an encouraging process, maybe it's discouraging, that you pray about that. Say, Lord, open your word to me. Give me the encouragement. Give me the endurance that I need. Not in our own strength, but in God's mercy. Seek that through the ministry of the Scriptures as we come week to week to hear the Word preached, but also day to day as we open the Scriptures and meditate and pray. Seek God's encouragement. Seek His endurance. And do know this. The Scriptures are the Word of God. And notice that the Scriptures' ministry here is unto our endurance and our encouragement. And it is, in the next verse, is God Himself who is our endurance and our encouragement. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a way and so on. When the scriptures minister to us endurance, when the scriptures minister to us encouragement and comfort, you know what they're really ministering to us? God himself. It is God not only who speaks in scripture, it is God who communicates himself in scripture. Do you realize that? It's not like a byproduct. Oh, there's encouragement because you know the Lord. The Lord is the encouragement. He is the endurance. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. He gives Himself to you in the Word. It's not another source. Oh, here's here's somebody who's going to give you something over here. I bought this at the store and you can have it. That's not it. God says, I'm going to give you Myself in the ministry of the Word. God feeds us with Himself through Christ. Therefore, we say the Scriptures minister to us in, in, in encouragement, emboldening, and comfort. But what they're really ministering to us is God. God is ministering Himself to us. He's giving Himself to us through the ministry of the Scripture because it is His very Word. And then same verse 5, the God who ministers by Scripture, this encouragement and endurance says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. So that's the third point. Granted by whom? May God grant you to have this, is what Paul's saying. It's like a prayer. He's not talking to God, but he's talking about a wish or a desire that he has toward God to the, to the, the believers in Rome. So here's the issue. If God doesn't give this endurance and encouragement, it doesn't come. Now, we can find human knockoffs of endurance and encouragement and kind of make much of those, but the very gift of of Christian endurance unto the end to be saved, that is a gift of God. That's a salvific gift. That's a gift that's part of salvation. This endurance even unto the end. God gives that. God must give it or it's not going to be received. God must give it or it won't be received because it won't be sought. Remember when the the great rich man goes and and the the disciples marvel at this rich man. But they marvel even more when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, the riches are seen as a blessing of God. You know, oftentimes this man's already blessed of God. But if he's rich, he can't even enter the kingdom of God. And so the disciples marvel. Who then can be saved? If not the good, Israelite, rich man, who can be saved? What's Jesus' answer? What is impossible with men is possible with God. The rich man cannot do anything to save himself. The poor man can't do anything to save himself. The guy in the middle. Nobody can do anything to save themselves It must be given from God. God alone is the Lord of salvation, and He gives it how He wants. We've read that in Romans before. Whom He wants, He hardens. And whom He wants, He calls and softens in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is absolutely sovereign in the dispensing of His salvation. Now, that's a message. that doesn't get a lot of airtime out there. That's okay. It has through church history, and it will again. The sovereignty of God in salvation. God must give it, or it won't happen. God must grant it, and here we have that in verse five as well. The God of endurance and encouragement may grant you. What's He granting? When God gives this gift to His church, to His people, this gift of salvation, what is He giving here? To live in such harmony with one another. That's the words there in the ESV. The original has something more like to have the same mindset. That God's given us a mindset, an orientation in our minds to understand who we are in Christ, understand who God is, how we how we are the body of Christ together. We'd have the same mind. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2, we'll see just the same sort of thing in the famous Carmen Christi. Carmen Christi is the the song or poem of Christ. And I'll just read this first section of Philippians 2, but notice the idea of having the same mind in you. It's the same, same word here Paul's using in, in Romans chapter 15. If there is any, and notice the same theme running through here too, if there is any encouragement in Christ, or any comfort of love, or any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, says Paul, by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of full, in full accord with one mind. No, this is a comment before we move on there, and I'll read the rest, but that doesn't mean that every Christian thinks exactly the same on everything. That's not having one mind. We're not just, like, intellectual automatons or something, we're just you know, all the same things. It's not it. We all have different perspectives, we come from different backgrounds, it's the body of Christ, it's a diverse reality. But the body of Christ, in its diversity, is united in the one true and living God, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of his Spirit, and is worshipping with one voice. That's what we see here in this. We're, we're called together as diverse parts of a body To be one in Christ. We're not called to be just the same thing and cookie cutters of one another. Obviously, that's not the case. We're all quite different. Praise the Lord. But we are to have the same mind in us. And the mind looks like this. Listen. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It sounds a lot like what Paul's talking about in Romans 15. But each of you not, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christian, this is your mind in Christ Jesus, a gift of God to you. of How to think and how to understand yourself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God... It's that form of God. That doesn't mean he wasn't God, just like he'll be in the form of humans here in a second. In the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Okay? He didn't exercise all of that glory and dominion for his own aggrandizement. He actually emptied himself and became man in order to save wicked sinners who are his enemies, to draw us into this fellowship so we could have this mind and live, learn to live the same sort of way. He emptied himself, verse 7, by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Christian, we see this great glorious end of Christ. Through his humility, through his pouring himself out, even his blood, God raised him up and gave him a name that every creature, everything in heaven above, the earth beneath, and the water under the earth will bow down and confess, Jesus Christ is the Master. Jesus Christ is the Lord, all to the glory of God the Father who loves him and sent him for us. So have this mind in yourself is the same mind that Paul's talking about back in Romans chapter 15. So back there and read that you can hear it again. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God gives us in this. God, The the gift of God in our salvation, Christian, is the gift of humility, of thinking of ourselves appropriately, of not making more of ourselves than we ought, which is the tendency. It's all right now. I've heard it again. Uh, You can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say you need to serve the Lord. And of course, you need to take care of yourself. Of course, you need, of course, you need to see to yourself before God, so that you can minister to others as well. He gives us humility and a mindset to serve. That is the mind that God has given us in Christ Jesus: is humility, not pride, not arrogance, not thinking of yourself and how important you are, and these peons out here that you don't care about. Quite the opposite: to think less of yourself and more of everyone around you, particularly the body of Christ around you. And he gives unity of faith. That's the last thing here. Is our, our focus, again, it's not that we are exactly the same in our thinking, but it is that we are all united. Each Christian, every Christian, all through history, is united to one Lord Jesus Christ. We're all united to him. He is the focus and the object of our faith, and that's the oneness of our faith. And as we focus upon Christ, that mind that we have that God's given us, this humble servant mind that Christ has and exemplifies, he works and builds in us over time. He's the one who gives us the unity of faith. That is, Christ Jesus himself, the focus and object of our faith. But also our, our unity in doxology, in worship. That with one mouth we should praise the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's called us to unite our voices, to unite our lives. And worship Him and love one another. Worship Him and love one another. Worship Him and love one another. Now, it's natural to be selfish. You've got to please yourself. In the flesh, we all know that. We all get it, and we must make war on it in Christ Jesus. We are to please not ourselves, but we're to please our God. And we are to please those around us, especially in the body of Christ. Look for their pleasure. Look for their edification and their good. Not just your own. Endurance and comfort are gifts of God. God himself is endurance and comfort for us. And he ministers that to us, Christian, by the word, by the scriptures. So be encouraged. Not only come and hear the scriptures preached, absolutely, week by week and come worship the Lord but to be engaged in your own searching of the scriptures as well that you might endure that you might receive comfort that is God's own endurance and comfort through the ministry of the scriptures God himself he is our endurance he is our comfort and he himself must give us the grace it is his grace it is his mercy that gives us these things may God give us the same mind in Christ Jesus to love Him and serve one another. And the same voice to praise the Lord, to honor the Lord, to glorify the Lord in worship. And as we go forth from worship in our daily lives, in the way we live in our in our families and at work and so on, but it all starts here as we worship the Lord. This is the fountainhead of it all and goes from there. So may God give us the God of endurance and encouragement. This great gift of the scriptures that we should be encouraged and endure and be comforted. And love one another as God has loved us and given his own son for us. So we should love one another and give as well. May God grant that to us that we should walk in faithfulness, resting in Christ Jesus. Amen.